Welcome to Music History Monday for February 13th, 2023. I'm Bob Greenberg, and the title for today's podcast is A Man for All Symptoms, The Death of Richard Wagner. If you haven't already, please consider joining me on my subscription site at patreon.com slash robertgreenbergmusic, where I blog, vlog, podcast, pontificate, review, and bloviate four to six times a week. We mark the death on February 13, 1883, 140 years ago today, of the German composer Richard Wagner in Venice at the age of 69. He had been born in the Saxon city of Leipzig on May 22, 1813. Wagner's Health Writing in Hectoan International, a journal of medical humanities, George Dunia, M.D., states that, quote, Richard Wagner was an extraordinarily highly strung individual, unquote. Do you think, Dr. Dunia? In fact, he was a pathologically overwrought individual, a certifiable narcissist who required maximum stimulation really at all times, whether he was awake or asleep. Yes, even asleep. As a young child, he kept as many siblings awake at night by shouting and talking while he slept. Wagner was not born a particularly healthy person, and as an adult, his personal habits and constant excitability exacted a considerable toll on his already compromised constitution. Writing in the Journal of the American Medical Association back in 1903, an oldie but a goodie, Dr. George Gould described Wagner as having the collective symptoms of, quote, Thomas de Quincey, best known for his confessions of an English opium eater, Thomas Carlyle, Charles Darwin, Thomas Henry Huxley, Robert Browning, Herbert Spencer, and James Parkinson, all together and all at once." Unquote. The illnesses shared by these illustrious individuals included migraine headaches, severe gastric issues, anxiety, depression, and insomnia. They were all workaholics who, according to Dr. Gould, drove themselves until they were, quote, threatened either by disease or by despair, unquote. From childhood on, Wagner suffered recurrent skin disease that has been variously diagnosed as eczema or erysipelas. He suffered from what were likely migraine headaches his entire life, complaining about, quote, the nerves of his brain, unquote. As an adult, he suffered from depression and severe anxiety and thought obsessively about death. As early as 1852, as a young man of 39, he wrote, quote, I am daily thinking of my death, unquote. He was an insomniac and subject to rheumatic pains and constant gastric discomforts. Physically, he was a mess. But migraines and dyspepsia were not likely to kill Wagner, as opposed to his problems with his heart. 
Those problems began in December of 1873, when Wagner was 60, at a time when he was desperately trying to put together the funding for his Bayreuth Festival, his grand monument to himself and his art. More on the festival in just a moment. The anguish and stress he put himself through and the anxiety and depression he experienced began to affect his heart. According to Wagner's wife Cosima, writing in her diary, quote, By starting the festival, he signed his own death warrant. He seldom had a good night, and his attacks of cramp about the heart became more and more frequent, unquote. The Bayreuth Festival The Bayreuth Festival, held in the picturesque medieval Bavarian city of Bayreuth in southern Germany, is an annual musical festival slash Wagner love fest dedicated to performing the works of Richard Wagner, his very self. The centerpiece of the festival is its theater, the Bayreuth Festspielhaus. Credit where credit is due. The theater is Wagner's creation, as surely as is Tristan und Isolde and the Ring Cycle. Wagner secured the financing for the theater and then supervised its design and construction. It was custom designed and built to accommodate the huge orchestras he called for, the particulars of staging he demanded, and to have perfect sight lines for every member of the audience, or, in Wagner's case, we might call those auditors his congregation. For all of the angst surrounding its creation and the money pit that it was for its first years of existence, the Bayreuth Festival in general and the Festspielhaus in particular must be considered unique triumphs, triumphs of Wagner's implacable will, of his power to convince others to do his bidding, and of his utterly singular artistic vision. The festival and Festspielhaus are at once a shrine, a pilgrimage destination, and what has been called a socio-cultural phenomenon. No other composer has ever created such a physical monument to themselves, and I think it most unlikely that anyone will ever manage to create its like again. The festival opened its doors in 1876 for the first complete performance of Wagner's four-evening musical drama extravaganza, The Ring of the Nibelung, or simply The Ring. The festival lost money for its first years, but as he always did, Wagner persevered, and by 1882, the Bayreuth Festival was not just an artistic success, but a financial success as well. That 1882 season featured the premiere and 15 additional performances of Wagner's most recent and, as it turned out, final work, Parsifal. Completed on January 13, 1882, Parsifal received its premiere at the Bayreuth Festival on July 26th. The Wagner biographer Barry Millington, Wagner, Princeton University Press, 1984, writes about these performances of Parsifal during the summer of 1882. Quote, Wagner took much pleasure in his flower maidens at these performances, especially, it seems, one of the six solo singers, a young English soprano 
called Carrie Pringle. It has been suggested that Wagner and she had a sexual relationship, but although the possibility certainly cannot be ruled out, there is no positive evidence of such an affair." Unquote. Yeah, one person who did not rule it out was Wagner's wife, Cosima, 1837-1930. Tall, gaunt, 24 years Wagner's junior, and approaching her 45th birthday during the summer of 1882, no one was more aware of Wagner's roving eyes, hands, and groin than Cosima herself, who had first slept with Wagner in 1862 at the age of 25, when both she and Wagner were married to others. Whether it was because of the artistic and financial success of Parsifal's premier run and or his dalliance with the 23-year-old Carrie Pringle, Wagner's spirits remained high during the summer of 1882 in Bayreuth, despite the unseasonably cold and rainy weather and the frequent heart spasms that left him gasping for breath. Venice the 1882 Bayreuth Festival closed on August 29th, and for Wagner and his family, it was time to seek more benign climes. That meant a trip directly southward, about 310 miles as the bird flies, to Venice. On September 14, 1882, Wagner and his extended entourage left Bayreuth and headed south. Wagner adored Venice, and well he might it remains among the most magical places anywhere. Wagner first visited Venice in August of 1858, and he returned whenever he could, staying a total of six times. In 1858, he explained his initial affection for La Serenissima, the Serene Republic, this way, in a letter to his future father-in-law, Cosimo's father, Franz Liszt. Quote, Life in the big city has become completely unbearable for me, mainly because of the din of carriages that infuriates me. Now everyone knows that Venice is the calmest city, I mean the quietest city in the world, and that is why I have decided it is absolutely the place for me." Unquote. True that. Over the years, Venice became a personal and creative refuge for Wagner. At another time, he wrote, quote, Venice is a far-off world of other times, deeply in harmony with my own desire for solitude. Nothing here has the immediacy of real life. Everything here suggests a work of art. Stay here I shall, unquote. Fresh out of Bayreuth during the late summer of 1882, the Wagner household decamped to one of Venice's greatest palazzi, the late 15th century Palazzo Vendramin Calergi on the Grand Canal. There they occupied the entire mezzanine floor, 28 rooms in all, plus a kitchen and various service facilities, with a large central room with double windows overlooking the Grand Canal. Yes, very nice. Wagner was not a well man in 1882. He suffered from angina, chest pains caused by reduced blood slash oxygen flow to the heart, a symptom of coronary artery disease. Slowly, 
Over the course of the autumn and early winter of 1882-1883, his heart condition, and with it his general health, got worse. Of course, true to form, Wagner himself did nothing to relieve his own existential stress. For example, among the many guests the Wagners entertained at the Palazzo Vedramin Kalergi was Cosima's father, the Great One, Franz Liszt. Liszt arrived on November 19th and remained until the middle of January. According to Cosima, Liszt's visit seriously taxed her husband, physically and emotionally. One evening, Wagner got furious when Liszt arrived late to dinner. Wagner also objected, loudly, we are told, to Liszt's piano playing, making him perhaps the only person on the planet who would have done so. Wagner complained constantly about Liszt's alleged lack of a sense of humor, and he bitched and moaned without mercy or end to Cosima about her father's musical compositions. She later wrote, quote, Late in the evening, when we are alone, R, as in Ricard, talks about my father's latest compositions, which he finds completely meaningless, and he expresses his opinion sharply and in much detail." Unquote. Sharply and in much detail, yeah. A euphemism, I think, for nasty words uttered with vehemence. Wagner's death. Sometime in January 1883, Wagner began what would be his last project, an essay entitled On the Feminine Principle in Mankind, an essay that would remain unfinished at his death. On the day of his death, February 13, 1883, Wagner got out of bed late and remarked to his valet, quote, I shall have to take care of myself today, unquote. Well, something was going to take care of Wagner that day. According to his daughter, Isolde, 1865 to 1919, who was 17 years old at the time, a day or two before, a note had arrived at the Palazzo announcing an impending visit from none other than the English soprano Carrie Pringle, Wagner's possible heartthrob, yes, I meant that, from the previous summer's performance of Parsifal. Again, according to Isolde, quote, Wagner and Cosima had a tremendous row during the morning, provoked by the announcement of a visit from Carrie Pringle." Unquote. Wagner furiously stalked off to his study, his so-called Blue Grotto, presumably to work on his essay on the feminine principle in mankind. Cosima plopped herself down at a piano and played Schubert's Lobe der Tränen, in praise of tears, weeping and carrying on while she played. A maid by the name of Betty Burkel was assigned to hang out in the room next to Wagner's in order to keep an ear on him. It was Ms. Burkel who heard it, a violent, agonized groan of pain. According to Cosima, quote, when Betty rushed in to Ricard's study, he was in such pain that he was barely able to speak, but he called out, my wife and the doctor, unquote. Wagner had suffered a major heart attack. Betty ran to Cosima, who was still sitting at the piano. 
yelling that Cosima should call the doctor. Wagner's son, Siegfried, who was not quite 14 at the time, remembered, quote, I shall never forget the way my mother rushed to the door. It expressed the force of a passionate anguish. She ran into the half-open door so hard that it almost split, unquote. Cosima helped Wagner to a sofa. Either he or a servant helping him dropped Wagner's watch as he lay down on the sofa. Oh, my watch, Wagner cried. Those were his last words. Cosima helped him onto the sofa, thinking him asleep. But when the doctor arrived a few minutes later, at 3 p.m., she was informed that Wagner was dead. Was it Carrie Pringle's fault? Oliver Hilmes, Cosima Wagner's principal English language biographer, Cosima Wagner, the Lady of Bayreuth, Yale University Press, broaches the subject. Quote, it is an appalling thought that Wagner's fatal heart attack may have been caused by a fit of jealousy on Cosima's part. But this is not the end of the story, for it has also been claimed that shortly afterwards, Carrie Pringle wrote to Cosima to apologize for causing the agitation that led to Wagner's death, and that decades later, Carrie's letter was destroyed by Bayreuth's archivist, Otto Strobel." Unquote. Was there ever such a letter from Carrie Pringle? Did Cosima, seeking to protect herself and her husband's reputation, order it to be destroyed? We'll never know. But according to Oliver Hilmes, at the time of Wagner's death, quote, petty jealousies hung in the air in Venice. Cosima hints as much in a previously unpublished letter to her friend Heinrich von Stein. On February 12th, the day before Wagner died, Cosima wrote, I should add that your letter did me a lot of good in my depressed and agitated mood." Unquote. Cosima continued. Like a modern-day Isolde, Cosima clung to her husband's dead body for a full 24 hours, weeping and praying for her own death. During the days that followed, she cried continuously and could neither eat nor sleep. A house guest, the Russian painter and designer Paul von Dukowski, 1845-1912, he had designed the sets for Parsifal, wrote to Cosima's father Franz Liszt, quote, I am not in a fit state to describe to you the days in Venice during which we were torn this way and that between our sorrow and the profound fear that we might lose your daughter as well." Unquote. When Cosima's first husband, the pianist and conductor Hans von Bülow, was notified of Wagner's death, he threw himself to the floor and gnawed the carpet. So out of control was his grief. When a few days later von Bülow heard that Cosima was endangering her own life as she mourned, he sent her a telegram that said simply, Quote, Sister, you must live. Unquote. And live, Cosima did. She died 47 years later, in 1930, having presided 
empress-like over Wagner's legacy. Thank you. To sample and download one or all of my many courses on subjects musical produced by The Great Courses slash The Teaching Company, please visit my website at robertgreenbergmusic.com.